Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the worst films as determined by the Razzies. For those who don't know, the Razzies or Golden Raspberries are awards given to the worst movies every year. They're handed out the day before the Oscars and they're mostly a giant middle finger to Hollywood. And that's kind of my problem with the Razzies. So I'll just say it right now. I hate the Razzies. I don't care if people make worst of lists. The problem is they're almost always hyperbolic. They're almost always not really the worst films. Most of what the Razzies nominates are films that are just failures. Like, ha ha Hollywood, you failed. You made this terrible mummy movie. And so we're going to nominate it for the worst movie of the year. When in reality, like Baby Geniuses 3 is probably the worst movie of the year. But they're always going to pick the popular failures. The ones where Tom Cruise gets knocked down a peg or John Travolta gets knocked down a peg. They don't really pick the worst movies. Now, I don't know much about the Razzies at all, but is it one guy who does these lists or is it like a group of people like they do for the Oscars or anything like that? It started with one guy in his living room. And to my knowledge... that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we are in a recording studio, Tara. I'm sorry, the recording studio, and I have Tim Curry's picture staring at me right now. Hey, Tim Curry rules. Three of them. I'm not saying he doesn't rule. There there are three Tim Curry paintings, And they're looking right at me and not at you. (laughs) Um, I like Tim Curry. What am I going to say? Tim Curry's awesome. I'm not saying anything. Tim Curry's awesome. We should do a Tim Curry episode. There are some movies that, of course, are pretty terrible, like Batman and Robin. There are other movies that they just nominate, like one of the ones we're discussing today is the Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which has its problems. But if you were to look at a list of movies that came out that year, it is not in the bottom five worst movies. There are movies that maybe might bother you. You might not like the design of the turtles. There might be movies that even offend you. But as far as filmmaking quality, it is not the worst movie of that year. That is crazy talk. Are we going to save Christmas now? Oh, God, we'll get into that. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the movies we're discussing today are Doolittle, The Mummy, Cats, Cat in the Hat, Catwoman, Gods of Egypt, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Battleship, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, The Wicker Man, Blood Rain, White Chicks, Music, Saving Christmas, and Independence Day Resurgence. Since we've got Catwoman, Cats, Cat in the Hat, we need a Cat Man. Is that what Gods of Egypt is going to be? Well, there's a movie called Cat People. Actually, there are two movies called Cat People that are both very good. And it's called Cat People. It's called Cat People, yeah. Cat People's really good. And the one, the 80s one has a like, really rich Giorgio Moroder soundtrack. The 80s one is so good. I'm just going to Google this up later on you can and just find Google it out. later. Yeah, just Google it later. It's fine. Since you asked the question, so the Razzies, they do nominate, I believe, five a year, kind of like the way the Oscars used to before they changed the rules. Okay. And so, obviously, if you look back on the last 10 years of Razzies, there's 50 movies, but this list is only 15. So we did sort of pick and choose over a broad number of years. And so these aren't just the last couple of years. These are just some of the worst movies. A few of them won, <laughs> air quotes, won the worst movie of the year award. Some of them didn't. But these are all nominated films over the last, like, what, 10 to 15 years-ish? Yeah. I will say it's going to be hard to pick three (laughs) to keep. Because even if they're not the worst movies of the year, some of these or all of these are not necessarily good. At least with Shyamalan, we had, like, the Sixth Sense that we knew, okay, we're keeping this one. And Unbreakable, even. Yeah, those two, I mean, at least Sixth Sense, you knew this is staying. Looking at this list, it's like, well... 
You have to pick three. <laughs> I've got to pick three. There, I can only pick three. I can't pick anything else. It's got to be three of these. Yeah. And that's going to be the hard part. So I can see at least one that might be fun. And the rest of these, I don't know what I want the future generations to have to suffer through. Well, and, and I'm glad you said the word fun because I think that's going to be the saving grace for a lot of these is that even though they're bad, are they still fun to watch? I can enjoy a stupid movie with my brain turned off as long as it's still fun and entertaining. Right. And it's going to be super difficult to say what one person would find laughably bad but enjoyable versus just bad. Because for me, I'll just start with one right now. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I hate it. I'm generally not an Adam Sandler fan anyway. I don't think many of his movies are very good. I'm not going to get into the offense of it, the whole... They have to pretend they're holding hands, and that's the grossest thing ever, not the fact that they have to do this gay marriage for insurance fraud. So yeah, so there is a question of offense, because I know when it came out, I'm sure people were offended as well, and times have definitely changed in the, what, 12, 13 years? I think it was 2007 or eight when that came out. Yeah. Things have definitely changed uh, as far as you know society and the way we view certain things. The idea itself is pretty okay. Like the idea of oh, two guys who can't get what health insurance or coverage or whatnot, and so they decide to get yeah. married. That itself is a pretty fair idea. But how do you play that for laughs without going the gross homophobic route? Well, if I remember right, there was an original script before Adam Sandler was signed on. It actually was less of, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, you gross guys have to pretend to kiss. And a little more like the birdcage, where it was uh. more of a, it was comedy, but it was more of like a, a family drama kind of deal. Mm-hmm. It was a lot better because I remember reading part of the script and going, oh, my God, this actually would have been a kind of cute movie because Kevin James's character is in the original a gay fireman. And the guy that was played by Adam Sandler, that Adam Sandler made his own and redid the whole movie based off of this, was his best friend, closest friend, like his brother whose kid needed health insurance, he needed health insurance, and so he married his best friend, who was gay, even though the Adam Sandler dude was not. So there was none of the ew, gross moments. It was, hey, we're going to move in together because we're at each other's houses all the time anyways. One of them was desperate and needed help, and they're helping each other. Yeah. I think it would have been awesome if they made the exact same movie they made with Adam Sandler and Kevin James, except they fell in love at the end. Why not, man? Why not? Uh, I do want to go and double back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this is the recent one uh, that Michael Bay produced. The one with the CGI turtles who look like, well, they look like weird potato Shreks. People didn't particularly like it. They didn't like how Michael Bay was going to make the turtles aliens. People didn't like that Shredder was going to be a white guy. So if you watch the movie, there's a character named Eric Sachs, who's the villain, the businessman villain. And throughout the movie, it's revealed he works for Shredder. And the Shredder shows up in this like giant cyber Shredder costume. But in the original cut of the film, Eric Sachs, Shredder's real name is Orokosaki, Eric Sachs Orokosaki. Like it was, he was meant to be Shredder. And so every time he mentioned Shredder, it cuts away from him. You never actually see him mouth the word. They reshot it and they did some ADR to make it seem like he worked for Shredder because people online were getting offended that they made Shredder a white guy. And so there's weird things like that. I don't like that they made April O'Neil the previous owner of the Turtles. That was completely unnecessary. So there's a lot of stuff that like that that they changed that they didn't need to do. But the movie itself is kind of dumb fun. It's not offensively stupid. It's not high art. It's not really great by any means. But it's not this terrible garbage fire that some people seem to think it is. And maybe that's just obviously probably maybe just my opinion. The second one is not a better film by any means, 
but it is closer to being an actual movie of the original Fred Wolf cartoons. Mm -hmm. Like that has that silliness where like Krang shows up doing that weird voice and Shredder just accepts that an interdimensional alien wants to help him fight turtles. But part two isn't on this list. Only part one, I believe, was nominated. But right now we're only talking about part one. For now, I'm keeping it because this is a list of not particularly great films. And of that grouping, (laughs) uh, I think the first Michael Bay Ninja Turtles is probably slightly more watchable. So I'm hanging on to that for now. Let's talk Doolittle. So Doolittle was a movie that came out right before the pandemic with Robert Downey Jr. playing Dr. Doolittle. And so it's not a musical like the original, and it's not a comedy like the Eddie Murphy remake. So this is the third retelling. It's awful. And I know at the start of this, I said the Razzies usually does a terrible job of nominating films because there probably are worse movies than Doolittle. At the end of the film, he confronts an angry dragon, and it turns out the dragon is angry because it's constipated from eating like knights and soldiers. And so it has armor plugging him up. Doolittle has to reach into the behind of a dragon and pull out the armor from his place. <laughs> I'm trying his, to not say it. His place. And when he pulls out the armor, the dragon releases this giant fart that goes on like Robert Downey Jr. is in a wind tunnel and a squirrel gets blown against the wall of the cave. And that's like part of the climax of the movie is him reaching into the butthole of a dragon and it farting. This is the end of your movie. Now, this is not the ending of Shrek, by the way. This is the ending of Doolittle, which is supposedly a big... Robert Downey Jr. Well, he produced it. He wanted to make this movie. And originally, he filmed it doing some sort of accent, and they didn't like it. So they had to go back and redub him doing a slightly different English-type accent. And so if you watch the film, his mouth doesn't always line up. There's a weird sort of otherworldly effect when you watch it, and it doesn't sound like his voice is coming out of that set. Question. If the dragon is constipated from all this armor, why wouldn't that just be digested automatically because it's a dragon? Well, dragons are fake, Tara. Okay, but in the movie of Doolittle, they're not fake. Right, but we don't know what real dragon anatomy is like because dragons aren't okay, real. Give me five minutes. I'm going to Google this up. We're we don't know <laughs> if dragons can digest metal. Do we know? Um, but I'm crossing off Doolittle. Yeah, I'm going to cross off Doolittle. Honestly, it looked like to me Robert Downey was trying to break away maybe from his Marvel days. I mean, I understand like with the Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy, that was comedy. But it was a comedy, was yeah. It, it wasn't all CGI, though. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of computer effects. Like, they didn't necessarily computer animate the tiger, but they filmed it, like, on a blue screen and yeah. then impo- superimposed it. But everything in this Doolittle looks so plastic and fake with the animals. Oh, yeah. I'm sure all the animals are fake. They probably did kind of like with um, Jungle Book. With all the technology we have today, they should look real. So far, at least, most of the time, if you see a CG animal, you know it's a CG animal. There's just no way around it. We're just not there yet. These okay, movies, let's move on. This, this move list on. isn't exactly the <laughs> easiest list we've ever picked out. I mean, let's be fair. Doing some of the other lists, even the longest list, like the, the Stephen King, there were so many movies. Oh, this one's definitely, this one's kind of iffy. I don't know. I like this one, but it's not the best production. It's a lot harder to look over a list of pretty bad ones and say, this one's not as bad as the other ones. Uh, you know, a cat turd sandwich is probably not as bad as a horse turd sandwich, but maybe it's worse than an elephant turd sandwich. I'd go with the horse, just based on diet. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about that. No, move on. Uh, next, let's talk about the bees, the bees. Oh, God, not the bees. Was this Nick Cage's first uh, Nick Cage role? No, no, no. He's been doing that weird, screamy, freak out stuff since like Vampire's Kiss in the 80s. So the movie we're talking about is The Wicker Man. I love the original. The original Robin Hardy Wicker Man from the 70s is a classic. It is so good. It is so, so remarkably good. 
I don't know why they made the Wicker Man remake the way that they did. It's pretty faithful and yet completely drops the ball. In the original and this one, both films are about a cop going to a small island community to investigate the disappearance of a little girl. But in the original, the main character, the constable or cop, is this super religious, almost puritanical cop who comes across this paganistic society. And he is, I believe his character is even a virgin in it. You see him being tempted by the women there. You see him being tempted by their way of life. And it's about that conflict within him as he's also investigating what's going on. So like he doesn't agree with their religious beliefs. He's never like really tempted to become one of them. It's not one of those like drinking the Kool-Aid sort of things, but you see it chipping away at his beliefs and his strengths. And it's really interesting. The Nicolas Cage movie does none of that. I think, and I don't know if this is true, and I don't know how Nicolas Cage got involved, but I imagine he probably is a fan of the original. It's a weird movie. He likes weird things. And he probably thought that it would be cool to do it. But the problem is, is that the Nick Cage persona doesn't really fit with that story. At least as the puritanical cop. Well, and I don't even remember that they have that aspect of his character in that in that version of the film. It's very straightforward. It's it's edited down to nothing. The movie's like 90 minutes. I'm sure they cut a whole bunch of stuff out just to, just so it would end faster. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the Nicolas Cage one is just a mistake all around. I, I don't understand what they thought they were doing when they made that. I wonder if there's a director's cut somewhere and it's like two hours long. And maybe it's got that, you know, the, the puritanical versus the, the paganistic outlook. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that one day. I yeah. don't know. I, I have no idea. This is actually really, really sad looking at the list. I know the, I, there was a long pause. We we're just looking at the titles and I'm like, I'm I don't like, know what to talk about I'm next. I'm like, Wicker Man was bad. Yeah. It was bad. But you know what? If you're keeping Ninja Turtles, I'm at least going to keep the Wicker Man just because of the bees. That's no. the only reason I'm keeping it. And you know what? It is kind of a fun little cop story. It's uh, Nick Cage's movies. He's done some good ones. We do need to do a Nick Cage list at some point because that's going to be a lot more entertaining, oh, I think, with all the, the schlock he's done. It's, you know, it's passable for me. At least it's something to sit down and end of the world. And you're like, well, it's either saving Wicker Man or I could save Cat in the Hat. All right. So uh, thank you for that tangent. That helped. Cat in the Hat is awful. Of course, they only made it because the, the Jim Carrey Grinch was so successful. Yeah, but the Grinch at least is a full story. The Cat in the Hat is like a 15-page, not even a full story, not even a beginning, middle, end. There's not much of a story there from the actual book. Yeah, the Cat is just a tornado. He is a whirlwind of destruction. He comes, he breaks things, he leaves. The Grinch is a story. The Lorax is a story. The Cat in the Hat is not an actual beginning, middle, end right, story. Right. There's no plot. So that's why they can't have a 90-minute movie without it. Well, they can just make stuff up. I mean, that's what Hollywood does. You just make stuff up. It's not funny. It's not funny. There's some weird adult jokes that I yeah. don't know why they put those in. Super innuendos between the cat and the kid's mom. And you're trying to figure out if this is like, hey, we're trying to reach the adults that are sitting with their kids in this movie. Yeah. And it's not working. Why is Paris Hilton in it? And he calls a garden tool a hoe. And then he says, I'm sorry, baby. I didn't mean it. It's almost like someone saw the Shrek movies and thought... What if we have the guy that voiced Shrek and we keep some of that kind of adult raunchy humor? I don't think there was anything that any parent ever sort of like side-eyed while watching Shrek. Shrek was, uh, the, the critics word you hear a lot is irreverent, which I hate when they use it. It's overused in critics quotes. Shrek was slightly edgy, but there's nothing in it that would make me say like, oh man, like maybe that five-year-old shouldn't have seen yeah. it. And granted, I'm not a fan of censorship anyway. Like, everyone can determine what their kids can and can't see. You know, every kid is a little bit different as far as what they can understand and accept. But 
I don't know why Paris Hilton isn't the cat in the hat movie. That doesn't make any sense. And the ho, the, the ho joke. And the centerfold when he picks up a picture of his mom and it folds out like yeah. a centerfold. They have to have the context of understanding what a centerfold is to even get that joke. Trying to explain that to your six-year-old who probably wanted to go see the cat in the hat movie is a little interesting. And again, it's weird. It's very hard for me to sort of complain about those jokes, but then also say that we shouldn't not do those things. Look at movies in the 80s, especially kids' movies. They all had this sort of adult edge to them, or a lot of them did, like Goonies and Gremlins even. They made toys for R-rated movies. Terminator and yeah. Rambo had, and Starship Troopers had toys with toy commercials, you know? Alien had yeah, toys. Yeah, Alien, Alien had toys. Perfect for your child to watch. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we raised kids differently back then, and that's a whole different conversation. For Cat in the Hat, though, I'm not saying that I'm offended by these. It's just the jokes aren't very funny, and it's only a couple times and it makes those couple times stand out like if this was the movie if they just wanted to make an edgy cat in the hat then i probably wouldn't complain about any of those jokes but when you do that only three or four times it makes them stand out kind of like uh the songs in a knight's tale i like the moments with the modern day songs in a knight's tale but since they only do it four times in a two-hour movie it makes them stand out it makes me kind of cringe a little Mm -hmm. if that had been the whole movie then fine Cat in the Hat, very similarly, if they had that sort of edgy underline the whole time, then who cares? But because it doesn't, these four random adult jokes really stand out as sort of strange. All right, so Catwoman, I'm going to say I am crossing off Catwoman, but I saw it like six times in theaters. Catwoman, though, I will say is one of those movies that skirts the line of so bad it's good. It's not a good movie. It's ridiculous. But the movie Desperate. just rides that line of almost offensively bad, like not offensive the way like Cat in the Hat might be, but like offensive, like, oh my God, this is a film that people paid money to make. Watching a, a dumpster of cash just burning. It's kind of like that <laughs> offensive. It's not a good movie, but it's so, it's so WTF. You watch Catwoman and with your hand like half over your face, just wondering what anybody thought they were doing. And so for that reason, I kind of applaud it a little bit. Again, not good by any means, but the holy crap factor of <laughs> what were they thinking is right up there with cats. Like Catwoman is is almost as questionable as cats. Catwoman, I could at least watch because it's so bad. Let's be honest, does have Halle Berry in tight black leather jumping around. Doesn't she use her powers to like play basketball? She does. She plays basketball and she Doesn't purrs. she like lick herself like a cat as she well? She does. Though there's a part with catnip, yeah. Do they ever have a scene with her with a laser light? Because that I might actually enjoy. That would have been hilarious. That would have been a great outtake of like, you know, Halle Berry sitting there and then all of a sudden this red dot goes and she's chasing him. That's that's how the bad guy gets away by distracting her with a laser light. So are you keeping Catwoman? No, not even Halle Berry in tight black leather is enough to save that. Okay. I will defend Cats. I saw Cats five times in theaters. And if it weren't for the pandemic, I probably would have seen it more. I love Cats. The first time I saw it, I was baffled. And then I kept thinking about it. And so a week later, I went and saw it again. And I kind of loved it. And then I went again, and then again, and then again. One of the times I saw it with my friend Albert, we had two strangers sitting next to us. And they started giggling at the movie, like laughing at it. And then we started laughing. And so the four of us were just laughing for like five minutes straight. <laughs> and, and we had no idea who these people were. But it was just contagious. We we're just laughing at this movie. The problem with Cats is that, well, there's several problems with Cats. One of them is, of course, the CG. There's a lot of really good dancing in the movie. But the problem is, is that when you cover it up with CG, it's not real. Like, you're not going to appreciate these dance moves if it looks like it's just animated anyway. Mm-hmm. But the reality was that people really were doing those dance moves, which could have been neat to see. And I think the movie would have benefited from maybe not doing 
the CG cat bodies. Maybe they should have just done, you know, like Le- the Broadway show, like the Broadway show, like leotards and cat makeup, and maybe like CG the ears or the tail. I mean, hell, even the the Broadway ones, didn't they have just regular tails on the costumes? Oh yeah, and it was just regular costumes. Um, yeah. The problem goes back to if you can't see the effort that went into it, if you can't tell that real people are dancing. The Cats Broadway show isn't really about anything. There's not a through line. It's just, we introduce this cat, they sing about themselves, and they leave. Well, the entire premise of Cats in general, wasn't it just a single line from a poem? It's actually a collection of poems by T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot actually wrote a story about the cats individually and the the plot entirely. There's no plot. There's a plot. They're singing to see who gets to go to heaven. But that's it. But there's... That's a plot. The characters don't interact with each other. There's no dialogue. There's no, like, motivation. It's just... Are we talking the movie or are we talking the poem? The show. It's just song, 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 song. And that's it. <laughs> there's nothing connecting them. There's no connective tissue. Really. Not at all. The and, movie at least tries to connect them. And the, yeah, the movie introduces the character Victoria, who is in the stage show, but she's just basically one of the dancers. Uh-huh. She's she, the audience stand-in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's fine. Whatever. But it doesn't work. I love it's cats. So but it's so creepy yeah. looking. It's so creepy looking. But also, they changed the songs. Why would you make a movie of a musical and change the songs? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, because we're making a movie of a show and we have to make it our own. But with a musical, which arguably the songs are the driving force of a musical, mm-hmm. why would you change the songs? Because I have a vision. Okay. And, and the vision is not too I was asking popular. for a real reason, okay. Tara. Like, I'm like, just saying, not and me. And the answer is no. The answer is there is not a reason. It's stupid. There's a lot of big names in this movie, too, which makes it even more flabbergasting well, because, to watch. Well, because it's it's a play that made like $4 billion and ran for 20 years. Yeah, but imagine you're sitting down with like Judy Dench and saying, okay, we want you to play a role in Cats. It's not the voice. You're actually going to be sitting in a blue screen room with a bunch of stuff added in post and... Once in a while, you can lick your hand. Actually, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to correct you. And it, it's hard to tell when you watch the movie. The sets are real. Really? Yeah. And so they made these giant sets to make the cats look, you know, the people look small. When you watch the movie, it kind of makes the backgrounds look fake as well. But Why would you do that? If do, you're spending all this money, why not just? It goes back to the problem of they should not have animated the characters. The heads are a problem. The Uncanny Valley is a problem. I'm going to keep it, actually. I'm, yeah, I'm going to keep cats, actually, like for now. It's a curiosity, and if we're looking at a group of just bad movies, what's least bad? Cats, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say in terms of entertainment, it's up there because it's not as bad as, say, The Last Airbender where you have to put the caveat on there of, do not make a movie like this. Cats at least is entertaining, even if it's extremely uncomfy to watch. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a what were they thinking movie. It's a good drinking game movie. If you don't like musicals, though, you're not going to get through it. Pretty interesting in terms of, like, the effects, I guess? You can absolutely say that you have not seen a film like it, <laughs> right? It's it's unique. <laughs> well, yes, unique in the same way that um, a lot of these other movies are not unique because they don't feature cat bodies with human faces pasted right, on Right, exactly. All right, I'm going to cross off Blood Rain. It's an Uva Bowl movie. He's made a lot of those really crappy video game movies like House of the Dead. I would call House of the Dead one of the so bad it's good type of films. Blood Rain... It's just boring. It's not as boring as In the Name of the King, which is another one of his video game movies. You watch Blood Rain, you just watch actors slumming, like Ben Kingsley and Michael Madsen. (laughs) I don't know how drunk they were when they filmed this. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez is in it. Or when they signed on to do it, did they owe some taxes or something? Is that why they did the movie? No. Okay, so what Uwe Boll did, and Germany had to change their tax laws because of it. If you made a movie there, and it was a failure, 
the cost difference between the amount of money you made and the amount you spent could be used as a write-off. So if Blood Rain had a $50 million budget, allegedly, <laughs> if the movie makes $5 million in theaters, all of a sudden he has a $45 million write-off, tax write-off. That's also one of the reasons why he probably never really had to try to make a good movie because... He wanted to make bad movies. Kind of like the producers and yeah. Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> maybe it was more beneficial to not succeed. I don't know. I have no idea. But again, allegedly, it's all allegedly. Failing was a success because it's a tax write-off. Right. I will say Blood Rain follows every stupid vampire movie you've ever seen without actual good people who like the series working on it and the producers liking it. And, well, Blood Rain is just proof that you can have a fun video game and it's never going to work well as a movie. Well, I mean, I'm going to disagree because you can even take a movie like Spy Hunter or sorry, you can even take a video game like Spy Hunter that has no plot whatsoever and you could make a cool movie and it would really just be a movie in name only because there's no story to Spy Hunter well, at yeah. all. Blood Rain, the game, has a story and a concept and a, and a visual style that you could have copied to a film, just mm -hmm. ideally to a better film <laughs> or competent or good or not boring. <laughs> um, I'm going to cross off the Tom Cruise mummy. The mummy isn't good by any means. And weirdly, seeing Tom Cruise fight like a CG monster is strange because he never, he's never really done that in his career. And so it was yeah. very odd watching that. Was he on uh, like platform shoes when he did it? That's funny. That was a short joke for those that don't know. <laughs> okay. He, he's like 5'6". That's not... Oh my I'm 5'6". Not... Yeah. Anyway, okay. Okay. The really dumb thing with the mummy is if you're going to sell your soul for awesome powers, why are your powers limited to literally killing like three people? That's all you get? I did like Russell Crowe doing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't necessarily like the obvious franchise building they were attempting, like doing the Dark Universe, which failed with its very first movie. Which could have been cool, which, and it could have yeah, really been awesome. It's the one Wolfman, of those... the Invisible Man, Dr. Jekyll, the Mummy. Like It would have been cool to bring, yeah. bring all these together, and it failed. But I did like Russell Crowe. He was hamming it up. I don't like much else of the movie. I think it was a huge mistake to rip off an American werewolf in London <laughs> by having his like visions of his dead friend. Yeah, And they also did that stupid trope of, Oh, we're going to go into this village. Oh, it'll be fine. And then immediately smash cut to them like running through an alley getting shot at. Like, oh no, we messed up. Isn't it funny? Oh no, cringe. Like, yeah, that's that yeah. stopped being funny like 20 years ago. Yeah, but it's not terrible. It's not the worst movie of the year. Yeah, it's a failure, but there are absolutely worse things that have come out. Kind of sad because in better hands, this could have been the start of another great franchise. Yeah. Let's stick with the whole Egypt thing and do Gods of Egypt. Yeah, Gods of Egypt is a movie that I like to refer to as Whites of Egypt because <laughs> somehow they have white actors playing Egyptian gods. Go hey, figure. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you say that you should be able to play, you know, act within reason? Actors should be able to act. Actors act, yes. It's one no, of those things. No, no, no. I it's, totally no, agree it's with you, of, dude. It's one of those fine lines, though, where if you're making an Egypt set film, cast region-specific actors. So bashing its poor casting choices aside, I really like Gods of Egypt. It's, again, not a good movie. It's one of those maybe so bad it's good. It's ridiculous. Like, make it no is. mistake. It's it's a dumb movie. All of the, the Clash of the Titan movies and so forth, all the, the Greek and Roman mythology movies. How is it so hard to take some of these stories that have been around for so long, to put them on the big screen and to go, hmm, we have the entire story set. We have all the plot. We have everything we could need. Let's change 90% of it and just keep like the names. How is it so hard to mess up a story about the Egyptian gods? I mean, if you like the idea of Gerard Butler playing a 12 foot tall god in ancient Egypt and, and Jamie Lannister with one eye, imagine if a child 
had a hundred million dollars <laughs> to make a movie, and they that, had their action figures like there's yeah. GI Joe versus Barbie, yeah, yeah and, and like oh, and and there there's the snake, but then like <laughs> the good guy has like a giant snake, and like oh, and he's gonna be uh like really tall. That's basically what Gods of Egypt is, and so mm-hmm. if you can watch it from the perspective of an eight year old burning a hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> It's actually kind of fun. Not a good movie, but it's kind of fun. Now, keep in mind that the year right before this, they came out with the Moses story, the Exodus. Exodus with Ridley Scott. Yeah, where it had Christian Bale as Moses. I mean, Sigourney Weaver. How on earth are we going to have two back-to-back ancient Egyptian movies with like 90% white people? I I, I like the mythology of Egypt too much to watch a movie like that. My brain, if it was shut off that way to enjoy it, it would never come back on. Imagine... Just like laughing and pointing at your TV. That's what Gods of Egypt is. I and that, know, that's a good time. But it, I've got that with cats already. I don't need two movies like that. They're all bad. <laughs> They're all yeah, bad. But on... some, some are bad, like offensively bad, like Chuck and Larry are bad. It's to the point where I'm watching and going, if I had to watch this movie versus getting like a root canal, it'd be a really hard choice. All right. Do you have anything nice to say about White Chicks? Because I know people liked it. I know the makeup is terrible, and for me, it's almost impossible to get past. But people like it. It was relatively successful. It's still referenced today. It's a nice flip from the other movie we just talked about, where it was a bunch of white people playing non-white roles. But at least within the context of white chicks, (laughs) they are in makeup in the context of the film. I don't like it, but I know people do, so should I keep it? I'm going to hold on to white chicks for now, just because it was done by the Wayne Brothers, right? It was. It was and the Wayans. Yeah. They were the ones that did the the, the screen knockoffs, the, the scary, scary movie. the very first ones, the the first, the first two at least. And I'll hang on to White Chicks because at least it's a comedy intending to be a comedy, and it's more entertaining. That's a good point. I like that phrasing: a comedy intending to be a comedy. Well, I mean, as opposed to like Chuck and Larry trying to be a comedy, but also Not. being really offensive. I'm crossing off Battleship. I think it sunk my battleship. Oh yeah, huh? that's funny. Um, I did like when the alien ship fires pegs, like <laughs> like the game. Um, it's very weird how like the aliens crash on accident. They show like one ship hitting like a satellite and crashing, yeah. and so the aliens are spending the whole movie trying to like rebuild the satellite, presuming that they are trying to signal their fleet to like attack. But if you watch the movie, it's never really determined that the aliens are bad guys, and so it's weird watching like slow motion. American patriots on a battleship. <laughs> American like, flag like Pearl flowing Harbor, behind the American them. Flag. Yeah. Like, even though Peter Berg made it, it looks like a Michael Bay movie. It's so very strange, like trying to get this rah-rah America feeling when they're killing these aliens. And I don't know that they, I don't remember that they ever determined that the aliens are trying to harm us. Well, they landed in our territory and they broke our satellite. So that is Castle Doctrine. The movie. But they don't start it out like Independence Day where the aliens come and literally jack stuff up. We're, like, we're going right. to get to Independence Day in a second here. I'm saying. Yeah, we don't know. The aliens literally crash here. They're not trying to invade us as far as we can tell. They're just trying to get their ship out of the water. I will say, if I have to pay it a compliment, the ship animation, the CG of the ships, the ships look great. The alien animation doesn't look very good, but the ships and the battles on the water look pretty cool. Peter Berg does know his way around an action sequence, but Taylor Kitsch, the main actor, is a charismatic black hole. Like, they may as well have cast Brie Larson. (laughs) It's just, it's not a good movie. Liam Neeson is wasted. So I'm crossing off Battleship. There's there's just nothing to it. It's a who cares. I mean, come on. When Battleship first came out, everyone's reaction was, wait, like the game? That's one of those things, again, like like Spy Hunter to where the game has no plot. So you could make up anything. The only thing you need is a Battleship. That's it. They could have made any movie. Kind of like you you can make any war movie and just call it Call of Duty. 
you know, and that's it. And there you go. It's a movie of the game, even though it's really not. And so yeah, same point. thing with Battleship, although the Call of Duty games do have a storyline. Yeah. But Battleship, there's no story. They could have done anything. They had a completely blank canvas except for a ship. That's the only thing that was necessary. a ship that is attacked or attacks. It could have been the hunt for Red October. And maybe like the submarine is communicating to a battleship to defect. And that's it. Ugh. And it was Ugh. just garbage. It was, it was Transformers. It was a Transformers ripoff. All right, so Independence Day was mentioned, so let's talk about the sequel, Independence Day Resurgence, which I hate when they just throw a word on the end, like Resident Evil Afterlife. Like, just call it Part 2. Just call at it least, Independence Day 2. At least Afterlife makes sense. No, just put a damn number on there so I know which movie's which. Independence Day 8. Yeah, but either way, um, I love the first film. I absolutely, truly love the first Independence Day. I think Resurgence was awful. How could you ever awful, follow awful. up Independence Day? Hey, 20 years later. I don't care. 20 years well, later. Show me like Independence Day a few days or a year after the attack. Well, that that doesn't bother me so much. It's just the way they present how we use the alien technology was super lame. All the new characters were lame. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just think about like all the ships, like I said, you know, what happened a year afterwards, even a few months, you have these ships yeah. just crashing in random spots. The aliens can't communicate with their mothership anymore because it's gone. Independence Day Resurgence is... <laughs> Tara's moaning. It's just... <sighs> it's not good. And so... Like, if you watch Independence Day back-to-back with, with Godzilla from 98, because Roland Emmerich did both movies. So if you watch Independence Day and Godzilla back-to-back, Godzilla tries to mimic the formula, broadcast, broad characters, ensemble movie. But Godzilla was a failure because you don't like anybody. Independence Day, you had Bill Pullman doing that great speech. You had Will Smith and his charisma. And even Randy Quaid, before he went crazy... Yeah. Playing a slightly different crazy person, yeah. but it was entertaining back then. And he was still like the single dad with his three kids, so you still are kind of rooting for the guy. Okay, he made some mistakes, but he's an interesting, fun character. Sure, he's, yeah. He's not, there's only a few people you don't like in Independence Day that aren't the aliens. Right. And then in part two, the whole new cast is lame, and they don't know what to do with any of the returning actors. And that's sad, because the original Independence Day was so awesome. Even now you see it and you get like, oh man, that was so cool. There's only like one spot in there they could have fixed and that was it. I mean, it's not a perfect film for sure. Independence Day has some issues, but it's kind of cool because it exists in that weird little window between models and miniatures and then CGI. So if you watch Independence Day, all these ships blowing up are models blowing up. Mm -hmm. And there's only a few CG shots. Like when you see fire shooting through the buildings, they really tilted a model and then shot a fireball up it and filmed it in slow motion. There's only one shot of the fire coming between the buildings that's CG. All the other times, it's real fire. That's why it looks so cool. Obviously, there's some stuff you don't need to do that. You don't need to see Luke with this giant puppet taking the, the blue milk out of it. No one cares if that's the puppet Oh, or no, not. no. I want the puppet. No. I'm saying the puppet is impressive, but when you have that as the only part and everything else is in a green screen, it's like, eh. In the first Independence Day, watching a 14-foot-wide model of the White House blowing up looks cool. It did. It looks so awesome. It looks neat. And yeah, the movie's a little cheesy. Some of the characters are a little dumb, whatever. They're all likable in their various ways. Yeah, yeah, I love Independence Day. The second one, ugh. Now this one hopefully won't take a freaking hour and a half, Tara, but let's talk about Sia's movie music. I'm going to preface this by saying I knew Sia did music. I was under the impression she was like maybe 20 or something like that. I didn't realize she was like in her 40s Mm -hmm. and that... The girl you see bouncing around in all of her videos is a victim from, like, the Dance Mom show. Yeah, yeah. There's a weird relationship between Sia and Maddie Ziegler. We call that word grooming, by the way. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, maybe they're friends. Who knows? Like, I'm not going to pass judgment on their relationship. But this movie Sia made stars Maddie Ziegler. 
it was delayed for many, many years. Part of the reason probably is because of the content. And so, and this, again, actors act. And, and so this is a little tough for me to sort of express in a way that, Just that is fair. Just tell them what music is about. Because yeah. when I hear Sia and music, I assume it's her album. I'd never heard of the film until okay, so someone was like, oh, have you seen the, the new Sia music? And I was like, she has a new album? Oh, she did a movie. Yeah, oh. she did a movie called Music, which is not confusing at all. Music is about a young girl who is special needs, but it's one of those weird Hollywood versions where they don't completely diagnose her. And so she just sort of has whatever condition the movie needs, like sensitivity to sound or this or that. And kind of like when Dustin Hoffman played Rain Man, there is a question of what is and isn't okay. I don't know the dude's name that they based Rain Man on, but after music, I was curious about Rain Man and Forrest Gump because those are the two movies that kind of spring to mind with Mm -hmm. differently abled characters. And I don't know if the director and producers were with this as well, but Dustin Hoffman apparently spent a lot of time interviewing and hanging around the dude that they based Rain Man on. Mm-hmm. So he learned a lot of the, not just mannerisms, but hey, what is daily life like for you? But the question becomes, should an able person play a disabled person on film or not? Now, if we're going back to the 80s, there was a lot bigger hills to die on yeah. than the Rain Man. No, I know, I know. And, and I think Dustin Hoffman is great in Rain Man. And there is a question of, what certain actors can and can't do. One of the problems that Sia said she had with music was if she were to cast somebody who had this character's disabilities, they wouldn't necessarily be able to act because this character escapes into these musical fantasies because, again, it's a movie by Sia. So, of course, there's like big musical numbers. With a lot of bright, flashing lights, that would be very bothersome to someone who actually had sensory issues. If she had actually made a message movie, if she had actually shown the hardships that these families go through instead of just a super false and Hollywoodized version. And it doesn't help that the main girl's disability, and her name is Music, by the way. Her her character's name is Music, which is also confusing. And there's these weird sequences of... There's two scenes in the movie that even as someone who is not trained at all with this kind of stuff, I can watch it and go, this isn't right. Anyone can watch this and say, this is how mistakes happen. This is how people die. Yeah. Because they physically restrain this girl when she's having a meltdown due to sensory issues. Yeah, they try to say that if somebody with... Uh, they try to tell you that if, if 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 a differently able person is having a freak out, that you lay on them to calm them until they calm down. <laughs> like, what? Now, it's, what? Worse, it's worse the second time around because the second time it has... The, the movie's main character, despite the movie being named after music, her older half-sister, who now has custody of her, physically, again, shoving her on the ground and laying on her while she's face down, which, again, is how people die. Yeah. They and have people that have suffocated because other people get on top of them and pin them down. Yeah, and we're not trained, obviously. Like, I, I, I don't know how to handle those situations, but I imagine, I can't think of really any times where laying on a person is the right answer. <laughs> And keep in mind, this movie came out, what, 2017? Uh, it, no, it, no, it was made in, like, 2017, and it came out uh, during the pandemic. It came out in, like, 2021. Really? I thought it was... Yeah, it was delayed. It was delayed for a long-ass time. And now we're going to get into the, the harder part. Not the harder part, but people are going to criticize your movie, regardless if it's good or bad. Oh, you want to talk about Sia's reaction on Twitter? Sia's reaction. Oh, yeah. This is the best time to make mention... <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to respond to people or this is why you have a press person. This is why you do your research in the first place. If it takes your movie four or five years, which is great if you do the research properly. Okay, so essentially what Tara is getting to is that people attacked the movie on Twitter and Sia decided to actually respond and it did not go well. And I could actually sort of understand what I believe she meant to say, but there comes a point in time where maybe not engaging is the right idea. 
Because yeah. maybe don't use 280 characters to defend yourself. Like maybe uh-huh. it's something bigger. There are some things that require discussion. The entire movie required discussion. I do believe one thing Sia said, like in my defense, I spoke with an autistic charity and they told me that this stuff was okay. That charity, by the way, was Autism Speaks, which like the third Google search on these guys, the third Google result is something about Autism Speaks eugenics. This is not a good charity. Oh, yeah. Oh, that whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, they, they, at least I will say in defense of them, they did take away the parts on their website that say autistic people are a burden on their families. And <laughs> oh my <laughs> no, God. this was literally on their website. Yeah, I know. I know. Sia. Sia just made a mistake. I don't. How many millions of dollars was this a mistake, by the way? I don't know. I don't know why she made this. If you want to make a movie about a young person escaping into a fantasy world of dancing and music, then that's fine. But I don't know why she decided to tell the story this way. And there's another movie called Dancer in the Dark with Bjork Yeah, that's kind of similar. And it's a great movie. And there is a way to make a movie like this. It's just not the way that Sia did it. Yeah, Sia's movie could have been great. The character music herself is not a character. She is an object in the movie. Mm-hmm. She has no characterization. I'm not saying that because she's nonverbal. She literally has no point in the movie other than how it affects her half-sister guardian, and how difficult her life is now that she has music in it. And everything that music has going on all depends on what the movie needs her to do. Like, it's it's so nonspecific that it just makes it come off as false. And I think that's where a lot of the offense comes from. It comes off as false. Music is whatever the plot demands her to be. whatever the plot demands her to be. Not to mention that Maddie Ziegler has known Sia pretty much most of her life. This is an adult lady who is very rich, wealthy, has all the influence from her music, and Maddie has been in pretty much all of her music videos. So there's a lot of... Trust. Trust and a little more than influence as to, hey, you want to be in my movie? You're going to play an autistic girl. Yeah. Uh, I suggest just going on YouTube and looking up clips. (laughs) Yeah, please, please, whatever you do, do not pay for this movie. The only movie then we haven't discussed is Saving Christmas, starring Kirk Cameron. And the tagline was, putting the Christ back in Christmas. Now, we're not going to get into religious beliefs. It's a Christian film about understanding the true value of Christmas. But weirdly, not in the way you might expect. I will say props for that because you expect the movie to go one direction. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of circumvents that and makes you sit there and go, huh, I didn't see pretty much any of this coming. There is a dance-off sequence. It's terrible. I did not expect to see a guy like diving slow-mo slip and slide into a pile of presents. <laughs> right, which... <laughs> right. But no, but so the movie, the movie's actually not about how Christmas is really about Jesus. That's the angle you would expect. The movie is about using scripture to defend Christmas as we know it today, which is unusual. A very weird take on the idea of yeah. putting Christ back in Christmas when we just justify everything we do today has scriptural basis. Right. Defending the tree, defending cocoa, defending presents. It's unexpected. And on its own, like, I kind of don't mind that idea because I like Christmas. I love Christmas, but I love the generic version of Christmas. I love the red and green and Santa and tinsel and trees. I love all that stuff. And so for a Christian movie to actually defend that is a little interesting, but it's so poorly made. It's made like it was shot for a grand. Not even (laughs) a grand. In someone's house. The filmmaking on this is so incredibly poor. Half the movie is shot horribly. It's too dark or doesn't have any focus. Yeah, or it's flat and it's 80 minutes long. And I think they just added whatever they could to get it to feature length. It's ridiculous. It is mind-blowingly awful. There's so many unintentional, hilarious parts, especially when Cameron keeps discussing how he loves hot chocolate. And I think this, again, has to do with the length of the movie, just trying to fill those minutes. But the first five minutes of the movie is Kirk Cameron 
talking to the camera and essentially introducing the film, which is a very strange thing to see in a movie. It's not so much putting Christ back in Christmas, but look, I'm Kurt Cameron. This is my movie. My issues are all the filmmaking because it's so bad. It's hilarious in how bad it is. Kind of like how The Last Airbender was bad, but it had an actual budget. Yeah. The justifications of this movie are downright hilarious. Like when you look at the Christmas tree, you should see the cross. And also, too, his crisis of faith is not a crisis of his faith. It's why are we celebrating Christmas? And again, part of the movie has Kurt Cameron as Kurt Cameron. That's his, He actually plays himself sitting in a car with his brother-in-law. And the two of them are just like back and forth, like shot, reverse shot. Basically convincing him that it's okay to celebrate Christmas. It's an interesting take <laughs> it's on an the interesting thought take. Yeah. that putting Christ back in Christmas isn't about celebrating the religion, but more about obtaining more things well it's more about i mean that's that's a cynical way of looking at it but i think what they're saying is that it's it's using your faith to justify the materialistic side of christmas if you're familiar with the last action hero poster with arnold swinging like through the poster towards you saving christmas's poster is just like that with kirk cameron swinging on like a candy cane action hero style and it's it's not the movie that they made like that that imagery does not fit the film i mean clearly we're not the target audience but Everyone looks so uncomfortable in this movie, like they were all forced to be here, except yeah. for Kirk Cameron. A badly made film is a badly made film. There's a lot of decent religious movies, but Saving Christmas is not one of them. All right, so as we've been talking about these, I've been crossing them off, and by happenstance, I only have three left. I didn't choose three, I just ended up with three, because every time we talk about something, I'm like, nope, crossing that off, nope, <laughs> crossing that off. And so I actually have my three by sheer happenstance. I did not intend to end with these three. This was not my plan, but it's just the only things I haven't crossed off. So what are your three then, Tara? What do you have left? My three are Cats, Wicker Man, and White Chicks. And of these three, I think I only said I was going to like maybe save them, but that's all I have left. So those <laughs> are kind so of what I gotta keep. These are your default three. These are my okay. default three, but at least they're entertaining. <laughs> Are they? I mean, I mean, kind of. I mean, Wicker Man. I, I I do not agree with you on Wicker Man. I think it's just a dog. It's a terrible film. Like, I to me, there's nothing about Wicker Man to save that at all. It's it's a trash if, fire. If I had to choose between Wicker Man and Saving Christmas, at least Wicker Man's got good production. That's where you're falling. Like, what do I choose? <laughs> okay. I, I I guess this one looks like a movie. <laughs> the, the Ninja Turtles one. I know you were holding on to that one, mm. but I just I just didn't like it. Honestly, the entire thing with the turtles they looked so weird. I prefer, you know, guys screaming about bees than the Ninja Turtles. Uh, you, you didn't like the Ninja Shrek potatoes? Dude, can you imagine that? If that was the title of a movie? <laughs> Nin Ninja Shrek potatoes. That's what Shrek 5 should have been. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, I could see why you picked those. Because um, like I had said, I would hesitated a bit on White Chicks because I know people like it. It's weird. The makeup is strange. It's just completely stupid. Its premise is 100% completely stupid. But if you can't accept that, then sure, there's fun to be had. The Ninja Turtles, I can appreciate something even if the animation or the CGI is not very good, if the story is good. But the Ninja Turtles movie was not good and the animation did not help. You know, I don't disagree. This is just where I ended up. What do you got? Show me what you got, boy. On, this was not on purpose. They're, These ones are ones we are trapped with. and <laughs> We didn't choose them. Right. And broken record, though, I'm going to go back and say there were worse movies each of the years that these movies came out. It's just the Razzies goes after the, the Hollywood failures. That's really what their angle is. So, as for me, 
now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Cats, the 2014 Michael Bay-produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a.k.a. Ninja Shrek Potatoes, and Gods of Egypt, which I will defend <laughs> as a hilariously fun time because it's so remarkably bad, but it's... in a fun way. But Catwoman was so bad, it was good, too. So why would, why did Catwoman not get if it? If Catwoman had a $150 million budget, like Gods oh, of okay. Egypt, maybe. Gods of Egypt had a huge budget, and you can see the budget. I mean, you can at least enjoy the spectacle. Actually, that's a good word for it. It has a lot of spectacle, and kind of like Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor sucks, but you know what? It has that really awesome, expensive action sequence where they kill a bunch of Americans. That's a bad example. <laughs> That's a really bad example. You're not cutting that part. I'm You're not keeping cutting. that. Uh, it's true. Well, it's like I realized halfway through saying it, like I'm about to, to defend the part where they glamorized a bunch of people dying in real life. No, Gods of Egypt is at least trying. It gives you something to look at. And I'm not defending it as good. It's just this is where we ended up. So I think that's about it for us. Uh, what do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.